You're listening to the North Parkway Podcast, weekly talks designed to help you take the next step in your spiritual journey. You can learn more about our church at northparkway.org. And if these talks are helpful to you, consider using the link in the description to give. Your financial support helps us continue to make great content. All right, well, that's enough intro. Let's get to today's talk. Have you ever stepped over the line and not realized it until it was too late and you were already way over the line on something? Ever had that one last word that was actually too far and you didn't know until it came out of your mouth and wait, come back? When uh, Natasha and I first moved to Illinois down just off of the Mississippi River, we got a house, and it was a great deal on the house because the previous homeowners, they had divorced, and one was living here, one was living there, and for about a year, nobody tended the yard, and it backed up to a large area of forest, and so as you could imagine, it was wild, wild yard, and so as soon as we bought the house, we thought, man, I got to get this yard under control. I can't even see the creek down at the bottom of the yard. I can hear it. I know it's there, and so we started just cutting stuff down. I brought these because I didn't want to bring my chainsaw. Uh, it was all kind of, okay, you couldn't just mow this stuff. So I'm going through, I'm cutting, I'm clipping, and I wanted to make sure that I was respectful to my neighbors on the left and the right. And so the, the neighbors sort of in the backyard on the right had a fence, and so I made sure to leave a little room by the fence, and I sort of took the line from the fence, and I carried that line all the way down to the creek where I was told that my yard ended. And so I was spending a lot of time Friday afternoons and Saturdays and Sunday afternoons and clearing them, clearing them, clearing them, clearing stuff out. And it was starting to look really good. I could actually see the yard. I felt really happy about it uh, until a couple of days later I came home from work and there were two ladies who were angrily and fervently running this yellow cord from the fence all the way down to the creek. And uh, so I'm like, well, this can't be good. So I walk out there. I'm like, hey, guys, <laughs> what's up? And uh, they're like, you cut down our, this tree. You cut down these plants and these bush. Okay, it all looked like jungle to me. You cut down all of our stuff. We love to come out here and just get lost in the greenery. And you, you cut down. The, and like, wait, wait, wait. I, I, I just cut my part of the line, right? Your fence. And they said, oh no, the fence is not the property line. The fence is back from the property line a little bit. This is the property line, and right there, this, this like scorched earth section that you ruined, this is our yard. And I thought, oh no, I am so sorry. There's no way to just make this stuff automatically grow back. It took years for their jungle, uh, you know, escape area to, to start to grow back. By the time we finally moved away, it was sort of overgrown again. And I felt so bad because I never intended to cut into their yard. They were awesome neighbors. Uh, we, we ended up becoming good friends after that initially bad experience. Okay? I never intended to do anything in their yard. I was just cutting and cutting, and I didn't realize that I had stepped over the boundary. And I learned something, I was, something was reiterated that I already knew, it was a great object lesson for me, and it could be for you, if there is a line, it's probably good to know where it is. It helps 
if there is a line, you should probably know where it is so that you don't accidentally wander across. Because staying in the lines is helpful in certain scenarios. Okay, It's helpful if you are trying to run for a two-point conversion to beat the Eagles. And you're a quarterback for the Cowboys. It's helpful. Oh, it's pain, right? Staying in the lines is helpful if you want to be good at coloring. It's helpful if you want to be good at tightrope walking. <laughs> really helpful. And, and it's helpful if you want to be a Christian. If you've committed your life to God, staying in the boundaries, staying on the path, staying in the lines is important if you want to serve God with your life. And I understand, I understand that um, not everyone by default is a color in the lines person. How many would say, I like to color creatively? Right? Lines are sort of, yeah, right, we have some. Lines are just a suggestion. They're guidelines, right? Not rules. Uh, and I understand that the guy on the stage talking about churches staying in the lines sounds maybe like a bad experience you had when you were a kid. But I want you to consider something, okay? If, you, if God has saved you and you love him, there is a very easy way for you to express your love for God. In fact, he wrote it down so we would know exactly how to say, I love you, thank you, God. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God to keep his commandments. He said, you want to know what my love language is? My love language is do what I ask you to do, and life will go well for you. And I want to stay in the lines. Now, admittedly, I am a, I am a rule-following type of person. If you say, this is the spot, don't go over here, I'm not like, well, I'm going to go over here just because you said that, right? That's not me. I, will, I, I want to, but sometimes I, I tend to wander, okay? And probably for you, you're like most Christians in, throughout most time in history, you're not looking for opportunities to invite God's discipline. How many would say, hand raise, I would love to invite more of God's discipline into my life? Not me. Not me. I want to invite God's blessing into my life. I don't want to invite extra discipline, right? Trouble will find you whether you're looking for it or not. You don't need to go searching for it. Or how about this? Hand raised. How many would say, I would love to invite the painful consequences of foolish decisions into my life? No, I don't want that, right? I want to make wise decisions so that the natural consequences and the outcomes of what I do are healthy and good. Look, you don't want to go over the line either. And none of us, I say none, almost none of us, willfully say, I'm just going to run off. I just want to go and live wild. Right? We're not doing that. We just have a tendency to slowly drift without realizing how close we are to the ah, and then we go over it. There's something important I want you to know, and I want you to write it down, and I want you to get this into your system and hang on to this today. It's important. It's painting a danger, and I want to put a danger sign up in front of you. Blurred lines are easier to cross. If you don't know where the line is, you're more likely to cross it. If you don't know where the line is, you're more likely to accidentally kind of drift over there. If you don't know that there is a line, you're more likely to accidentally go across it. And you bring, when you do, you invite God's discipline into your life because he's trying to shape you into his image. He's trying to help you to live a life that's healthy for you, 
and healthy for your family and healthy for the people around you. And we have this tendency as humans to drift. The Bible says this, Isaiah 53, 6, that all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. Now, think about this, okay? Have you ever been around sheep? Anybody ever been around sheep a little bit? Frank has, okay? The sheep are, are not typically really fast, rebellious animals, okay? Sheep, now I had, when I was a kid, I had a dog. It was some kind of miniature poodle slash Shih Tzu slash um, Furby slash like the Ewoks from Star Wars. It was like some kind of mismatch of all of those. Her name was Velvet. And the moment that she got an opportunity, she was like, gone. You ever have a dog like that? They don't live very long because they usually get run over. And Velvet would, the moment that she'd get out, she's just, I'm gone as far as I can. And she'd turn around eventually. She'd turn around just to look at you and like, I'm, I'm six years old, I'm crying, I'm trying to get her to come back. And then as soon as I get closer, she, okay, she's gone. That's usually not sheep. They're not intentionally running away, they're just grazing. And they don't look up. They're just eating, they're just eating, they're just eating, they're just eating. And by the time they look up, they realize, oh no, I don't know where anybody else is. <laughs> okay, trouble. <laughs> Bible says this, you like my sheep impression? That's good. Yeah. I, you know, when, when you have four kids and you read to them every night, you tend to get a few of the animals right. What does the giraffe say? I don't know. Right? Yeah, stick your tongue out. There you go. Right. But here's the deal. I'm getting off base. Uh, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've all left God's path to follow our own. We all have a tendency to wander. And if you don't know where the line is, you're going to wander across it. Satan knows this really well and he leverages our tendency to wander so that he can get us to live outside of God's best outside of God's instruction so that he can get us to live even if we know the truth get us to live across the line not only so that we bring disaster on ourselves but so folks from outside of the faith can go ha Vicky says she's a Christian but she does the same thing that I do right Natasha says that she loves Jesus, but she says the same kind of stuff that I say. Okay. And, and here's how it works. Most of the time, and we see a couple examples of this in Scripture. You can write this down. Satan doesn't need you to reject God's rules. He just needs you to question them. It usually doesn't start with, God's a bad God. You should just become a Satanist. It usually doesn't start that way. It usually starts like this. Okay. Satan's in the Garden of Eden. Some of you guys know this story. If not, you read it, Genesis, uh, I believe, chapter 2 and 3. And if you just read the first, like, four or five chapters, it'll help you understand. So Satan comes, and he said, God had instructed humanity, you need anything you want, just don't eat this tree, leave this one tree alone. If you do, you will die. And Satan comes, and he says, did God, did God really say that you would die? If you, that doesn't seem like his character. Isn't he, doesn't he love you? Did God really say that? Did God really mean you would die, die? Or you would just like feel dead inside? Or I'm, Okay, I'm expanding a little bit. But his thing is, did God, did God really say that? Okay, he comes to Jesus. Jesus is fasting. He's going without food so he can focus on God. And Satan, it's recorded in scripture, Satan comes to tempt 
Jesus. And he says, if you're really the Savior, it wouldn't be good for you to starve to death. If you're really the Savior, shouldn't you just command these rocks to turn into bread and then you can eat them? I know you're hungry. I know God, if you're really the Savior, don't you want all of the people in Israel to know that you're the Savior? If you go up here and you jump off the top of the temple, they'll all see that you're real and you do a miracle and everyone will believe in you. Isn't that what God wants? Isn't that God's mission for you, Jesus? Shouldn't you do it the easy way? And see, what he's doing is he's not outright saying, you should rebel against God. He's saying, is there really a line? Are you sure where this line is? Maybe it's really over here and you, you didn't realize. You know, it, should the line really be there at all? I've noticed this in my life. Satan is an expert at muddying the water and making it difficult to know where the line between right and wrong is. He's an expert at that. You, you know, and, and it, it happens in subtle ways you don't always see. It's does God really expect me to pray for my enemies? Oh, yes, I need to pray for them. God, bring judgment on them. Teach them a lesson because they did me wrong. Okay, that's, that's not the right kind of prayer. Does God, does, does God really expect me to take a percentage of my income and just give it to him? Is, is it really? Wasn't that in the Old Testament? He doesn't really mean that for today, Rick, right? He's not really like, he doesn't really expect... Does God really mean that sex is for a man and a woman who are married? Doesn't he, isn't it basically the same as if I'm committed in my heart? Does, doesn't God say that he's all about love? If it's love, shouldn't that count? And we have all of these things where the line gets blurry between right and wrong. And blurred lines are easy to cross. Now here's the interesting part about that. Is Satan does not have to push hard to push you over the edge on this stuff. Because you have a natural, and I, okay, all of us, we have a natural tendency to wonder. Uh, the biggest problem in doing what God wants is this noodly piece here in your head. See, this is my brain art again. You thought it was done. And I realized I still had it here uh, before. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with the term cognitive dissonance? Anybody? Cognitive dissonance. A few of you. Okay. Uh, let me, ref yeah, it's like, man, it's been a while since high school psychology. This is a pretty, uh, a, a pretty common term, and I'll give you the, the basics here. The dissonance is like the opposite of harmony, right? Harmony is when you have two notes and they sound good together. Dissonance is the person who's on, so you think you've got talent or whatever, and they think they can sing and they really can't, and it's ugly, okay? Dissonance. And so here's, here's what we've learned. Research has learned about your brain. Uh, when there is agreement between what you believe, your belief, and your behavior, your mind likes that. There's harmony. But when your belief and your behavior become out of sync, it creates dissonance in your mind. It creates discomfort. It's, it's like when you slept wrong on your shoulder and no matter how you sit, it's still kind of uh, just uh, trying to get comfortable. And your brain is constantly trying to get comfortable when these two things don't match. Okay? So what you do, because your brain uses a lot of energy and it's designed for efficiency, is your brain, is without you having to think about it, you're going to pick the easiest way to reconcile a difference between your belief and your behavior. 
Now, I want you guys to guess. In terms of energy efficiency, what's the easiest way to reconcile these? To change your belief about something or to change your behavior? I can change my belief without lifting a finger, right? I'll just change what, change what I believe. So it shows up when it comes to crossing the line or where the line is because of this. And I'll give you an example in a minute, but write this down. Cognitive dissonance encourages you to villainize their struggles and to rationalize yours. Okay. It, it, it goes kind of like this, all right? So that guy who is teaching you, the, teaching you the ropes at work when you start working, that guy who's responsible for training you, who really doesn't want to be training you because he's frustrated because he's trying to get his work done. Now he's trying to teach you your side of the deal. He seems like a gruff and kind of unfriendly guy. And you get this belief, right? Uh, Carl is a jerk. I don't like Carl. Okay, later on, Carl brings donuts in for everybody to share. But if your belief says Carl is a jerk, then instead of saying, well, maybe I was wrong, Carl's a nice guy, it's a lot easier to say, no, 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 Carl's a jerk. He was just doing that to show off. He's a brown noser. He's just doing that to show how much better he is than everybody else. I don't like Carl even more. You have a tendency to double down on those things. On the flip side, if you believe, okay, how many would say, I am generally, it's more often than not, I am generally a good person. I believe I'm, not very many? Man, you guys. Okay, yeah, most. You're like, did he mean raise their hand or not? I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. If you believe generally that you're a good person, and then you find yourself doing something, that God said is bad, you're, you're dissonant. Okay? I'm a good person. I did something that he says is bad. And the easiest way to fix it is not to change what you do. The easiest way to fix it is to say, oh, well, this isn't really that thing. I'm not doing that thing. That's the thing that Carl does. He's a jerk. Do you know he brought donuts for everybody? What a jerk. It, you know, it, Sandy is like glucose intolerant or something. It's, how could he do that? So inconsiderate. I don't like Carl. Okay? I'm not like that. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. We justify the things that we do and we say, well, this isn't really cross the line. The other guys are cross the line. Okay? It's, I'm not stealing. I'm just downloading this for free because my buddy knows where to do it. I don't have to pay for the movie if I get it on this site. Because the guy that's walking and sneaking into the movie theater, he's stealing. But I'm just downloading it. So it's not. Okay, that's been me before. Okay, don't do that. It is stealing. Okay? But you say, well, it's not really because I'm a good person. I'm not doing that. Okay, it's, how about this? Okay, equal opportunity toe stepper. I'm not being a coward. I'm just conflict avoidant. I just love peace. Well, the Bible says that if you have this problem, you should go and address it and talk to that. Well, I'm not going to do that. That might get into a fight. I'm not being, okay, I'm not doing the wrong thing. I'm still on the right side. I, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I'm just stating the fact. Okay? It's just the fact that Roger is late for work for the third time. I'm just stating the fact. Just factually, I had to do his reports because he, sorry, Roger. You're probably always on time. Oh, it's true. Whoops. <laughs> hey. Gift of prophecy right here. I didn't even know it. Okay. 
So all, he, he's, all of these things. Satan's blurring the line, and your brain is trying to justify the stuff, and it all works together to take something that should be, no way, I will never do that, and turn it into, meh. It's not that big of a deal. God understands. God wants me to be happy. And when you cross the line, discipline comes. When you cross the line, the natural outcome of your choices come back on you. And I don't want that to be you. So here's what we need to do. Write this down. You need to reject meh and cultivate contrast. See, you guys never thought that you would be writing meh on a note in church. There you go. All right? What does meh mean? It means like, eh, I don't know. It's probably fine. It's, it's how you feel when you try the new recipe and it's not bad enough to like pull out the chicken nuggets, but it's not good enough to make it again. So you're just like, Meh. okay. You need to cultivate contrast in your life. Listen to what Romans 12, 9 says. It says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Okay? That's contrast. Okay, let me flip my deal over. Let me loosen this up so I don't, ooh, it's tight. I'll go back this way. All right? Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. You need to draw that line again and say, there is a difference between right and wrong, and I'm going to reinforce this line so that I don't cross it. I have hidden your word in my heart, God, so that I don't sin against you. I don't want to go over here, so I want a nice, big, thick line so I know what is right and wrong. Hate what's evil, cling to what is good. The word hate here in Greek is apostugeo, and it means to detest utterly, to abhor something, to find something repulsive. It's, it's how you feel when you see that, okay? It's, if you're a Bears fan, okay? Poor Roger, hey. I do love all of our Packers fans. If they would stop knocking the Cowboys out of the playoffs, I'd love them a little more. You and the 49ers, right? Um, okay, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Sin should, okay, it should not just be a, well, I, intellectually I would prefer not to do that. It should be, that is repulsive to me. The very idea of it turns my skin. I hate the thought of this and what it does to me or what it does to my culture, what it does to my species. And there's a place for saying, and this is something you should pray, God, may sin repulse me. May it be re repulsive to me. May it be disgusting to me and there's a danger when the guy on the stage says hate sin disgusting for sin because you've all seen that abused haven't you when when okay we used to live in kansas there was a church famously in kansas that would go and on days like veterans day they would go to the to the cemetery where veterans had been buried and hold up signs and flags saying God hates you because you did this God hates these people because they're sinners all your son is dead because America voted for X Y and Z okay terrible stuff terrible stuff they came and picketed our church one time Just, what are we doing okay it, okay this is not that so it's important when you do this 
write this down, you need to turn your disgust inward. You need to turn that, that strong idea of right and wrong, you need to turn that focus inward first. Inward most. Inward, not exclusively, but I'm going to say for most of us, the majority of that I hate sin needs to be I hate my sin. Jesus famously said this, Matthew 7, 3 and 4. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't be, see past the log in your own eye? He said, look, the sin that you need to be the most focused on fixing is yours. It's easy to see it in somebody else. And remember, let me flip my deal around here again. This is, this is fun. Wee! Right? Remember, cognitive dissonance says, if I'm doing it, it's not a big deal. But if they're doing it, it's because they're bad. It's because they're wrong. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but it happens, right? If you spend a lot of energy pointing the finger at everyone else's sin, all of your energy is directed there and all of your focus is directed there and none of it is directed here. And consider, between you and Carl the jerk who brings donuts, okay? Poor Carl. Nobody in here is named Carl, right? I just... You too, buddy. You're just right in the... Okay, okay but, but consider, between your sin and Carl's sin, which one are you more likely to have any control over whatsoever? Yours or his? Yours. You can't do a blessed thing to change... Carl's going to do what Carl's going to do. He's like, are you kidding me? You're Donuts? You're mad about donuts? You're an idiot. You go to what church? I'm never going there. Okay. You can't fix them. You can't change it. Turn that disgust inward. Now, there is a place for saying, okay, I recognize sin, and there is a place if someone legitimately doesn't know that what they're doing is wrong, there's a place with great love and humility and patience and respect to explain that. But the greatest, the greatest effect that you can have against sin is yours. You're the one who can control your behavior. So turn that inward. Second thing, okay, you need to immerse yourself, write this down, you need to immerse yourself in God's worldview. Okay? So Romans 12, 9 says you need to hate sin, and then it says you need to cling to what is good. You need to cling to what is right. You need to cling to these things. This cling to, in Greek, kolao, it means to glue. It means to bind something. It means to unite yourself in. It's... It's this idea that you make a decision to attach yourself to things that are good in a way that it won't come undone. That's why it's so important to come together and be in church. You're, you, are, you are in the process of immersing yourself in God's worldview so that the things that he loves, you love. So that the things that he hates, you hate. So that the line that he draws is the line that you see. And this thing gets stronger and stronger the more time you spend with the Lord. God said this to the nation of Israel. He gave them the book of the law. And then in Joshua 1.8, he said, Study this book of instruction continually. 
Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then, everybody say only then. then. Consider those two words. Only when. Only when you meditate on it. Only when you study it. Only when you say, the truth in this book is so important, I'm going to make sure that I know it backwards and forwards and upside down. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. I wonder how many times we as Christians, we as American Christians, kind of swing in and we're like, God, I need you to fix my stuff. And he's like, oh, hey, it's good to hear from you. I haven't heard from you in months. Okay, how about we work on, no, I don't want to work on what's wrong with my, I just need you to fix my stuff. Okay, God said, if you want life to go well for you, learn not only what I say, but why I say it. Because the more time you spend with something, the more you start to see that everywhere. So it's a great way to do it. I say this a lot. I really mean it. Put the Bible app on your phone and read it or listen to it or watch it. So valuable to stay engaged in that, not just on Sundays, but through the week. you got to create contrast. So you turn your disgust inward so you focus on what you can actually fix and reinforce this line by immersing yourself in God's view. And then finally, write this down, you need to create margin between your life and the line. You need to create margin there. Because there will be times, despite your best efforts, that line is going to be fuzzy. Where do I cross over? There will be times when it's hard for you to know. Where does this go from border security to failing to care for the needs of people outside of my country? Well, where is that line? I'm not sure. Where does the line go between having ambition and being prideful? I don't know. Where's the line between a righteous indignation and anger that becomes rage? Where is that line? Sometimes it's hard to see. And when you can't see well, when there's any blurriness in the line, the last thing you want to do is get right up next to it. This this summer, and I've shared this a little bit, I have a visual aid for you in a minute. Uh, The family, we went to Colorado, and I wanted to go up Pikes Peak. And uh, we saw the price for the train, and I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. I'll drive. So I decided to drive up. Okay, do we have that video? Can we put that up, Kate? For those of you guys in the room, this is a time lapse of driving up. But I want you to notice you're, okay, you're literally driving through clouds. You're so high on a mountain. And notice how much of this trip has no guardrail. Yeah. How did that happen? How did that happen? Why don't we invite people to go up here and almost none of it has a guardrail. Put that still picture up, Kate. The very next one. Okay. This is, okay. Ethan took this as we were driving. Okay. Ethan was excited. Judah was trying not to hyperventilate. I was somewhere in the middle and I was the one driving. Okay. Do you see how much shoulder there is between the side of the road and death? Not very much. Okay, not very much. So, I want you to, I want you to hear me. I was as close to the middle of the mountain as I could possibly get. Because I didn't want to accidentally go over the edge. Because, don't miss this, 
Because the consequences of going over the edge would be disastrous. I don't want to take a chance that I would tumble over the edge. Now, there are other people in other vehicles that maybe handle a little better than a minivan with six kids and a whole bunch of stuff in the back, okay? If you're driving a Subaru Outback, you can probably stand to get a little closer. But for me, I didn't want to take any chance. I wanted to be as far away from the edge as I could because the, the, the consequences are severe. I want you to hear me. There are people that say, well, Pastor Chris is just... It's just one beer when I watch the game with my buddies. But for you, one beer might become six or seven or eight. And it is foolish to say, well, this time it'll be just one. Do you know what's the easiest way not to get drunk and do stupid things? Don't drink. It's pretty easy. Okay? If, if the app on your phone turns you on, you need to turn it off and delete it. Well, how will I know what's trending on TikTok? You won't. But you also won't get stuck in a porn addiction. You, you need to create margin between your life and the line because sometimes you won't know where that line is. And as Ethan comes back, the reality is there are consequences to crossing the line whether you meant to or not. God's discipline will enter your life as a, as a form of love to urge you back onto the way. But the Bible says his discipline is painful. And it's not always necessary. Sometimes we invite that. I'll share one last story before we wrap up. I was 22. I had just graduated from college with the a degree in music and psychology and I wanted to work for a church and there was a church about three hours down the highway highway 44 all the way up near St. Louis and I was driving there so that I could uh, try out for this church and as I'm cruising down I-44 and some of you guys know 44 if you don't it's just like 55 there are some people who pay attention and there are some crazies out there and uh, so I'm driving on the highway and this guy just whoo, by me you've seen some of those and I'm doing speed limit plus five, and he passes me like I'm standing still on this, like, smoky glass, you know, black Mercedes or whatever. And I remember thinking, when he blew by me, I'm like, where are the cops right now? Where's the speed guy now? Here's this guy who's obviously doing what's wrong. Why isn't anybody catching this guy? And I was, I was indignant. I was upset. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. About hmm, 45 minutes later, I see in the distance a car pulled over on the side and I see the lights, the, the police lights. And there are multiple police cars, okay? And, and I thought to myself, yes, they got him. I'm like, I'm gonna slow down and I'm gonna look to see if it's actually that speeding guy because I wanted to make sure he got what he deserved because he's being dangerous. And in my effort to slow down and look to see if the guy was getting what he deserved, I failed to get over into the left lane. And that was a point of emphasis that year because Missouri had just passed a law that that was, that was a crime to not get over when a police officer was pulled on the side of the road. And so I went by and sure enough, it was that guy. And as I was rejoicing in God's justice to that guy, Light showed up in my rear view mirror, and I thought, well, what did I do? I slowed down. I pulled over. Police officer came out. I said, oh, man, it's a, it's a kid who's driving this. He said, do you realize what you did? I said, sir, I do not. I don't know what I did. And he said, I have my lights on. 
I was pulled over to the side of the road. You didn't get over. That's dangerous. You could kill somebody. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was slowing down. I just, I didn't mean to. I didn't know that was punishable, you know, by a, a ticket. He said, and here's what he told me. He said, we just passed that into law this year. I said, sir, I didn't know. And he said, it's the law whether you know it or not. And he wrote me still to this day, the most expensive ticket I have ever received. And I learned a painful lesson, okay? The rules are the rules, whether you're aware of them or not. The consequences of crossing the line are the consequences, whether you meant to or not. And I don't want you to invite God's discipline into your life when it doesn't have to be there. There are going to be times when because God loves you, there are going to be times that he allows some pain to enter your life to push you back onto the path. And there are times when a bad decision, okay, God doesn't just prevent fun things from your life. He's trying to prevent pain from your life. Some of the times you do what he told you not to do, the natural outcome is pain. And you don't have to endure that. But you, you must know where the line is because blurred lines are easier to cross. And I know that you don't want to invite more trouble into your life. The best way to do that is to cultivate contrast. Not by pointing out everyone else's sin, by saying, God, help me to get to know you so well that the things that are repulsive to you are now repulsive to me. So that the, ah, it's just a little thing, suddenly starts to bother me. It starts to, I, I can't sleep at night because I know what I did was wrong and that belief and behavior dissonance, I'm going to fix it by changing my behavior and saying, if God said the line is here, I'm going to do what's right. And that's hard. That takes maturity. And God's, God's not, he, he doesn't have his finger on the send you to hell button. Just wait, oh, I'm just waiting. They've served me faith. They've served me faithfully his whole life. But if he messes up, I flush him down the toilet. It's not that. It's not. It's not. God's grace is big. The one last thing to consider is that you might say, well, Chris, I, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. What's the big deal? So I'm going to mess up a little bit. Everybody messes up a little bit. Yes, I know. I know. But living over the line and drifting over it and, and, and wandering over that and getting into habits of sin is not only going to keep you in bondage, but I want you to think about how that crossing the line is going to affect not you. Think about how it's going to affect your kids because they're growing up in your house and they're watching you. And what one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. And when you have a blurry line and you're like, nah, it's fine. What happens is the next generation pushes that a little bit further and says, ah, it's fine over here. Ah, it's fine over here. Before you know it, you've got people who say in their minds, I am a Christian, and yet they live a life that clearly contradicts what God said. And you're like, how did we allow this to happen? It's because a little bit at the time, we just kept pushing the line over and pushing it over and saying, is there really a line at all? And I don't want that to be your family tree. So you need to, you need to cultivate contrast need to create a healthy margin between your life and the line. God, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. And the way to express love for God is to keep his commandments. That's not legalism. That's just, that's love. 
that's how we need to live. Hey, this is Pastor Chris again. Thanks for listening. If today's talk was helpful in your spiritual life, odds are there's someone you know who could benefit from it. Take a minute right now to share it with them. And if you live in the area, come try out a service in person because church is more fun with friends. See you next time.